Good afternoon and welcome to Unleash the Power of Provider Data, Gain Operational Efficiencies and Improve Care Access with a Single Source of Truth, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Kairos Health. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions, uh, questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Craig Richardville, CIO at Intermountain Health, Chris Parvati, CIO at Northeast Georgia Health System, Stuart James, VP, Chief Operations Officer and Deputy CISO, CIO sorry, with Christus Health, and Scott Andrews, Chief Delivery and Operations Officer with Kairos Health. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in and get started. Craig, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, so uh, Intermountain Health is a large uh, integrated delivery system. We service seven states. We also have a large payer arm. So we're divided up into three operating and provider regions. And then we also have the payer that is, uh, they'll be moving into multi-state environment. Um, in terms of uh, our focus, there's there's a couple of things we're focused on this year as a system. Uh, the first is value-based care, continuing down that journey. And the second is simplicity. Um, last year, we focused a lot on caregiver experience and patient experience. So you know, the goal of the organization is to make sure that we uh, don't get distracted and we stay down uh, some of these main lanes um, to success. Myself, I am actually the chief digital and information officer. So as we have uh, evolved over the last two years, uh, data and analytics, uh, digital services, as well as um, typical CIO type responsibilities are all uh, within one umbrella. Very good, Craig. Sorry about uh, leaving off your title there. Not getting it complete. My apologies. Uh, Chris. Yeah. Hi, I'm Chris Paravati. I'm the CIO at Northeast Georgia Health System. We're a uh, five hospital system, uh, about 900 beds in total. We have long-term care uh, inpatient, outpatient behavioral health, and about 100 ambulatory locations. Uh, as you might have guessed, in the northeast region of the state of Georgia, I am responsible for all digital solution delivery, uh, the typical IT stuff, as well as uh, clinical and biomedical equipment management. Very good. Thank you, Chris Stewart. Hey, good morning, Anthony. Thanks for having me. I'm Stuart James. I'm the Chief Operations Officer for Information Services and Deputy CIO at Christos Health. We're headquartered in Dallas, Texas, an integrated delivery network with um, U.S. operations in Texas, Louisiana, and New Mexico. And then we also have operations in Mexico, Colombia, and Chile. We've got about 600 care delivery centers, uh, um, about 60 different hospital sites, and several hundred um, physician practices, as well as um, our ambulatory surgery centers, et cetera. We are focused right now on, on growth and expansion. Our mission here is to extend the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. We tend to go into communities where there's a need, not necessarily where there's money to be made. And we currently serve about 7 million lives, and our goal is to get to 10 million. 
my responsibilities. I've got all of the application portfolio. I've got data, analytics, integration, service desk, PMO, and all of our, um, you know, what do I call it, service management operations. So basically making sure we have a good infrastructure for delivering services to the organization. Very good, Stuart. Thank you. Scott? Good morning, good afternoon, Anthony, and it's uh, nice to be with uh, all of you today. Um, my name is Scott Andrews. <clears throat> I serve as the uh, Chief Delivery and Operations Officer at Kairos Health. Uh, Kairos Health is an organization that uh, serves its customers in the health system, medical group, and health plan space. Uh, we have about 1,000 a a health systems and hospitals that we work with, uh, over 500 medical groups, uh, about 425,000 providers across the country, a uh, hundred different uh, healthcare brands that serve about 90 million members uh, country or nationwide. Uh, in my uh, capacity, I work with all of our customers, uh, uh, basically through for starting with implementation all the way through customer success, support, delivery operations. And uh, really my primary goal is to make sure that all of our clients are uh, receiving the value that they're looking for as they partner with Kairos Health uh, to help them solve their problems. All right, very good. Uh, Craig, uh, Chris, we're going to start with you. Describe the experience you want patients and prospective patients to have when engaging with your health system and the role that accurate and accessible provider data has in that vision. So what are we trying to do at a high level? What kind of experience are we trying to offer? And then we assume certainly that that having your provided data straight is going to be part of delivering that vision. But tell me your thoughts. You know that's a that's a big question, and uh, you know as you kind of simplify that, it it really is ensuring we have access at the appropriate places to the right level of providers, the right clinical care. Um, frequently. Uh, we've grown very rapidly in a in a rapidly growing part of the the region, and we and when, as we've grown up out of this community healthcare and um, physician group and um, hospital based outpatient care, we've we've been somewhat fragmented in the past, and that each one of those groups does a really good job of scheduling and creating access, but as we grow into be a system. How do we how do we streamline that? And and not only streamlining things like scheduling and registration, those things are routine, but to choreograph care and uh, across those continuums. Uh, one of my family members uh, had a, a neurological problem and they met their primary care physician and said, oh, well, I want you to go to the neurologist. Well, they, the, the primary care physician, you could schedule online, you could check in online, you could make a co-payment, you could see all your results. You go downstairs, your prescription was ready. Um, you go to neurology, you have to call, right? And um, and uh, it's, oh, three, we'll get you in in three months, right? And yeah. I've got, you know, work to to get them in sooner. And, and then uh, they say, well, we need an EEG. Well, that's a hospital-based service. And so that's uh, got to be pre-authorized. And, and, and so there's a different scheduling experience and a different set of instructions and a different set of appointment reminders. And, and then, you know, the neurologist wants to see that that patient back and it's yet a, another touch point and, and the way that we're connecting with it, that patient. And it was so choppy. Everybody was trying to do the right thing for that patient in their own lane. But 
the the way that that was the patient experience was was horrible and 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 so you know as you think particularly in our in our market that's what i'm really trying to do is is really get the patients to the right place with the right information in front of the right provider uh and and then the right follow-up for those activities and that's that's a journey for us, uh, and, and and a big part of that is is pulling the data, and and really creating that that lens to understand the problem. All right, very good, Stuart. Um, thanks, Anthony. I, I would I would say that the experience we want our, our consumers to have is the same experiences, best in class experiences they have with every every other place they interact, right? We, we're providing healthcare services, but the experience mindset right now is driven by all the other things they do, whether it's shopping on Amazon, booking an airline ticket, right? There's a certain expectation of what that experience looks like. Um, when I'm shopping, for example, I'm a very last minute kind of person. So my Christmas shopping is usually what I do on Christmas Eve day. And when I'm buying something for my uh, my godchildren in New York, I'm looking for something that can be delivered before Christmas, right? And it's Christmas Eve. So while I might know exactly what I want, I have to say, well, one of the criteria is it has to be deliverable by tomorrow. I think that's a, an example of when somebody wants to make an appointment for care, they may have a window of time. Where I want this done now. They're not really interested in your next available. They want this done now. So if we can understand that experience, we can say, you might have thought you wanted to see Dr. X in location Y, but if you want to have a similar experience, a similarly qualified surgeon right now, maybe you can see Dr. Y by virtual visit, right? Or Dr. J in location K, and you give them options and make it easy for them to get to what they need. So I think we have to, to rethink our experience in the paradigm of everything else that people do in their daily lives and, and meet them where they are. Very good points. Very good points. Scott? Thank you, Anthony. Um, look, I, the thing that rings here for me is the, the mission of Kairos Health, which is to connect people to the right care. And I think Stuart and Chris have already kind of touched on the fact that the right care could be different depending upon who you are. Um, and really to make all of that happen, I, I, I encourage people to think not just about the, the digital properties that our clients have, but think of other places where consumers and members and people are looking for care. So whether that's out on a search engine or whether that's in a health plan website or whether that's in your own digital uh, properties, how do you create that experience that Stuart was just talking about so that it can be consistent with the same underlying information um, so that uh, an individual can search for the right provider or the care that they need, get matched up with that provider and ultimately schedule it. And uh, I think the, the data is the first foundational thing that you need to have to make that happen. Very good. Craig, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, great comments uh, by everybody. I have a little bit of a, a different twist. You know, We certainly need to make sure that we're multi-channel that we offer options for people. You know, we, we focus a lot on the digital piece, uh, but also there's people, there's a digital divide in this country. And there's people who don't have that same type of access or privilege to, to have that uh, experience that we've all been, been describing. But regardless of what channel it is, uh, it needs to be very easy. It needs to be simple. We need to meet the patient where they are. 
So your question about describe the experience you want, it's not really this, the experience I want patients to have. It's what, what does the patient want to have? It has to be very personalized and tailored toward the patient and what their needs are. Um, it has to be very intuitive, right? Uh, you know, Stuart talked about like some of the apps that he uses in, in retail and other things. We don't get any training or education on that. It's just very easy to use. Uh, and that's the experience, whether it's something that's in person or virtual or whether they're traveling to a location, um, all that has to be done that way. I do think that, you know, it's time to start advancing ourselves to be a lot more toward self-diagnosis, maybe a little bit more towards some self-treatment. Um, we have to, you know, when we get to the digital world, it has to be in their pocket. You know, we all carry a phone and some of us carry the Android phone and many of you do not, <laughs> the Apple phone, but whatever that device is, most people have that. But then remember, there are those that that don't. And when also when you look at certain segments of the population, there's those that change their phones out every month. They can't afford to be on an annual plan. So you have to be prepared for when those kinds of things change. And the last thing I will say is um, the most underutilized resource in our uh, ecosystem really is the patient. And we, we have an obligation to give the patient the opportunity to take control of his or her services that they want to receive in the channel that they want to receive that in. So no different than the example of walking into a bank, you know, 10 years ago, you walked in and now I'm doing at three o'clock in the morning, the same thing that that clerk behind that desk was doing, not that, not that many years ago. And so to be able to take that and bring that to those people that need it um, is, is the way that we need to design our systems. All right. Very good. Anthony, this is, Go this ahead. is if I could add and add on Go to ahead. this omni-channel experience that, that Craig is talking about. That, that's a really important part of it. And, and this underlying data supports different people, right? We might be supporting the consumer directly, or we might be supporting a call center that the consumer called into. Um, then that's similar, and I'm not going to name the company because I don't want to endorse any retailers necessarily, but doing my online Christmas shopping you know, when I ordered that thing that's supposed to arrive the next day, but I get to the cart to check out, it gives me delivery date was after the first of the year. Well, this is a problem. This is a Christmas present, right? And so their inventory wasn't right. And now I need to do something. I've already placed the order. I get delivery confirmation. It's wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for a phone number to call. There is no phone number, right? In our system, what phone number do patients call when we've got hundreds of care delivery centers? And how do we know them? But it says, click here to receive a callback. I click it. I mean, instantly, I get a call. It says, hey, Stuart, I see you just placed an order. Are you calling about that order? Right? And the experience seemingly switches channels and continues. That's what the expectations are. Not just do you pick any channel you want, but if you want to switch channels in the middle of the experience, it should also be seamless. All of that is driven by our ability to serve up the right data. Right? That's a really good uh, example, Stuart. Thank you for for offering that. Um, Stuart, we're going to stick with you on, on this next one. What is the current state of, and it's, it's hard for you to answer, but maybe your thoughts in general. What do you think is the current state of provider data in most health systems? What are the challenges that, that exist around creating a single source of truth in this area? Discuss the governance and change ma management challenges involved. And what role does data stewardship play 
and how can it be improved? So wherever you want to jump in there. Sure. I, I think we would describe the, the state of provider data in most organizations as, as fragmented, right? It exists in, in many different places and many different formats. So we have many different systems from credentialing to your EHRs to your managed care systems. So that provider data exists in, in many places. And often we don't have a well-defined and well-managed source of truth, right? You would think that, hey, the credentialing system should be the source of truth, and that's where you update and everything uh, updates downstream. But our processes don't necessarily work that way. Somebody makes a change on the fly in, in Epic, right? It doesn't necessarily go back and update your MD staff credentialing system. If you don't have good data stewardship, you don't have a mindset that people understand the importance of data to understand that this is your inventory, right? When your consumers go to your website to purchase something, your, your provider data in many ways, it's your inventory, right? All of your services are enabled by these providers. So that level of fragmentation is out there. The mindset of understanding how important this is isn't necessarily there. The data stewardship to make sure, you know, if you change something in one system, it's got to flow. And really, you should only change it at the source, right? Sometimes you can't help it, but then you have to have a process to go back and get them in sync. So those, those challenges are very real. And then the data is not necessarily consumer friendly, right? If you think about physician specialties that exist in your credit, no, nobody's looking for an internist or an intensivist. Many people don't know that, you know, their 18-year-old linebacker in a football team who weighs, you know, 260 pounds should be seeing a pediatrician. All right, so we, we have to we have to create the data in a way that matches the the consumer expectations. Um, if you know to look for an, an orthopedic surgeon, that's great. But our credentialing systems wouldn't necessarily tell us who specializes in hands versus feet versus you know some other subspecialty. So we have plenty of data. Um, converting that data into information and presenting it in context at the point in time of need is really where the challenge is. Well said, well said. Scott, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this one's near and dear to my heart, Anthony. Um, <clears throat> most organizations that we work with, like Stuart already highlighted, they could have anywhere from four to eight to as many to 20 to 25 systems that the data is uh, out there and, and, and uh, fragmented into. And believe it or not, there might be data elements that are really, really important to the customer experience that isn't managed anywhere. Oftentimes, I see whether or not the provider accepts new patients as a data element that's not managed anywhere except for in the practice manager's head at the front desk. And so capturing all of that underlying data and building the, the processes around how you update it, when it's updated, the fact that it's updated upstream or downstream is is truly the challenge um, that Stuart's uh, done a nice job of really highlighting. I think the only other thing that I would add is that the underlying uh, data elements, you have to think about what the purpose of that data element is. And sure, maybe the provider's specialty is coming out of credentialing, as Stuart highlighted, but whether or not that provider was trained in that specialty 25 years ago and how they practice medicine today, two totally different things. And so we want to use the data, underlying data for the right purpose for how a consumer finds care today, 
and ultimately allows them to get matched up with that correct provider. I think I'll uh, I think I'll stop there, Anthony, and and let the other experts on the on the uh, line talk more about it. Chris, what are your thoughts? You know, as 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 uh, you threw this out to us, I I wrote down nine sources of physician related data, right? Uh, from our, our web traffic to scheduling, the capacity. I'm li- literally looking at the list. Reputation management, EMR efficiency, uh, physician turnover, staffing turnover, uh, staff effectiveness, call center data, referral data. We're looking at all these components and trying to put together the right, frankly, a scorecard. You know what? You know as 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 the industry as a whole sees turnover as physician turnover is a, a very relevant topic now, which of those, those physicians that are leaving the organization, um, do we understand why and if they should, you know, what is their reputation? Are they really providing the care that our patients expect? Are they really, do they have the right access? Do they have the right level of APP support? What's going on with their staffing in that in that clinic or in that operational area? What are the pressures on that provider? And how are we really developing a retention strategy around those providers who ultimately directly correlate to a retention in our in our market, right? And in our market share. And so we're looking at all these components and, and as we wrestle with centralized scheduling or decentralized scheduling or call centers, you know, I think to Craig's point, um, you know, some of us really like using our cell phones to do stuff. My wife likes to talk to someone, mm. right? And so that speaks to that different channel and different style. Um it, you know, what does that look like? And, and, and frankly, it's not as good as it needs to be. And, and so I'm really looking at trying to create this three-dimensional look at market patients, providers, referral network, and what's going on in that clinic to really start to drive strategic decision-making that we just, we really haven't, we haven't been at that level. Greg, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, um, I like to kind of start out that, you know, that cash is king, but data is queen. It's it's right up in there. So uh, it is like it is the asset that we produce and that we put that to use. When you look at, you know, kind of like the you know, what's the current state, I think we're all like in a lot of different states. And for a, a lot of a lot of the similar reasons, I think most of us try to get our bended solutions narrowing so there's only a limited number of people that we partner with that is creating this data but still that's in the hundreds if not into the couple of thousands um, and i do think it, as we all have a single vision a similar vision to centralize or try to bring all that together um and certainly the, the less number of people that you're doing business with the, the easier it is to the, you know to bring that in and to standardize and normalize it, we're all putting it like you know in a cloud environment typically. But the piece that I want to kind of highlight on is the piece that Stuart talked about. You know, data is basically worthless unless you do something with it. And so to get that into the workflow, to get that into the recipient, to get that into the strategy department, to get that uh, back to whomever needs to use that data to convert it into information and knowledge and take action 
much more informed action on on what that data is saying is to me the most important part. Then as many of us are going through this MA type stuff, just the when we think we're heading in the right direction, there's a whole nother slew of data that we need to somehow bring into our eco ecosystem. But that's becoming the norm. So, you know, it's not an exception anymore. And I think through the the, the agility that we have and the, the flexibility that we've been able to, I think, build over the last several years, especially with the pandemic and other things that we're able to shift uh, as appropriate to make sure that we continue with the services, but also anything new that's coming in if kind of comes into that flow. All right, very good. Craig, we're going to stick with you on this one. Uh, who must CIOs engage with as they work to improve the accuracy and accessibility of provider data? And how have you partnered and built alignment with these other departments or organizations to work w- towards that single source, source of truth? Well, the answer to that is is everybody. There's really no way that we can remove from it, whether it's it's clinical data or whether because you're a provider or you're an employer and it's data about, you know, for our CHRO, about our caregivers, uh, all the different pieces of what we're doing are, are parts of, of running the company. That's why I think it's really important to have a really good, uh, we've combined our data and analytics together under to a data analytics uh, division. And that helps in terms of trying to make sure that there's at least the data being produced is now being used. And then we interact on a, on a regular basis, continuous basis with, with our operators, strategy department, clinical experts, uh, research area to make sure that they're getting all the data that they need to, to perform their functions. So it is really just kind of a constant, uh, you know, when you take a step backwards and say that really is what we produce as data, we really don't manufacture parts or, um, or vehicles or equipment. We manufacture data. Um, that really is something that drives all of our decisions that we make. Every now and then you get that little kind of gut feeling but for the most part, the data, the analytics that gets produced out of it <clears throat> drives your decision-making the way it should. Very good. Chris? I, You know, it, certainly, I I think to, to Craig's point, it, it it's a team sport, right? So really working with, with my peers and, and even the CEO on really what is our strategy and, and, and what, how are we going into each of these markets? and being very deliberate that that there's a lot of underpinnings of that work right so there's the underpinnings of working with our planning and strategy department uh, working with our physician groups and the leaders of those uh, and then working with finance and and really making sure that that the data we're producing matches the the roi and that we're presenting consistency Um, but it's 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 a team sport absolutely very good, Stuart. Sure. So, um, Chris and, and Craig, you know, really touched on it's it's everybody, right? You, you have to get the whole team in. Uh, a couple of things I would add is we we tend to think about provider data. We think about doctors and, and extenders, etc. A big part of this provider data is location, right? You would not believe how hard it is to keep up with all the different locations we have, or when when clinics move. And part of this consumer experience is not only being able to understand that location, keep it current, but to provide it in context, right? Again, if you're you're looking for care and we can say to you, hey, we see we actually have a location that's much closer to you, 
right? That could impact the consumer's decision and their overall satisfaction. So consulting people who understand who can manage and, and, and be good data stewards for location data is a component of managing provider data in this context. The, the other thing that I would say is, who do we engage in the non-traditional sense? We think about all of our internal people. What about engaging the patients and the consumers themselves, right? Patient and family advisors. Help them to help us understand how we think about things and what our taxonomy should look like. And what do you look for when you're looking for a hand surgeon or when you want to take your 16-year-old to the doctor, right? Get, get their insights into it. And then um, we're not quite there yet, but as, as we play this out, we start thinking about the disruptors. I don't think in healthcare we should always be the followers. How do we engage people who are, let's call them futurists, people who know what our consumers want before they even do? People who think it's going to be a good idea to make a phone without a keyboard or without the headphone jack, right? All those things that if you would ask this, we, we would never say we want it. Or if you go even further back in time, there would be people who would always have said that, hey, you know, the horse and buggy is the way to go. We don't want this car thing. But but somebody had a vision to see where the puck was going and, and skate there. So I think part of our challenge when we try to think about this is who, who can we bring in that will help us to disrupt the way we think about this? That's really interesting, Stuart. Um, yeah, just having so maybe I guess those experts that that can can claim to can call themselves futurists, bring them in and uh, get their minds working. Very interesting. Um, all right, uh, next question, <clears throat> Craig. You mentioned uh, M and A before, so let's start with you. As you think about your growth strategies, including M and A, what role does provider data management play? So. M&A, M&A, uh, you know, it's almost like, all right, we're getting things in order. We're, we're getting things under control. Oh, we just bought five hospitals. Oh, boy. Right. So <laughs> a lot to take yeah. on. So your thoughts around M&A and managing this? Yeah. yeah. The thing I'll say about M&A is um, it really should, should be M or A. Uh, they're different. They're totally different. Uh, if you are merging with somebody, there's a lot of negotiation, a lot of discussion that needs to take place to understand standards and there's probably different ways that people are trying to are solving the same problems and that takes a lot longer and, and certainly some some great dialogue you end up with a great you know outcome in the end whereas when you go through the a piece they typically need to follow what you know the larger organization the acquiring organization has already put together there may be a nugget or two that's like oh boy i'm gonna take that jewel and now i can spread it across the rest of the system but for the most part, they need to comply with and be part of. And that's typically part of the negotiation is trying to make sure as fast as possible, you can get in all the same core systems, you get access to the same core data, um, all the, the same types of uh, reporting and dashboards that you've built. So you can, again, try to operate them as effectively and as efficiently with the best clinical outcomes. So they really are like, like two different pieces. But the outcome in terms of what the, the portfolio of the data should be or what provider data management should be will will be what comes in at the end of that. Uh, when you, The more you have, the richer it is. So the fact that you're able to grow, which every typically every health system you've talked to is growing either internal or, you know, or external, bringing new new companies in, um, you, the more data you have, the richer it is. And so I really... Uh, applaud the work with some of the other, I uh, won't say their names, but some of the other organizations that are consuming data from a lot of different providers 
and allowing people to have access, including ourselves as a contributor, to have access to a larger uh, pool of data to, to again, make them better and more precise decisions. So, Scott, uh, what are you seeing, uh, you know, among your customer bases, best practices in this area? Um, you know, as technology has become more important, it's become part of the due diligence uh, for before an acquisition, right? What's what what kind of EMR are they on? What are the implications of um, getting together and and that type of thing? So, is is a provider data another area you want to have a little due diligence before you want to look under the hood and see what whether it's a mess or not? And then your uh, advice or, or recommendations around if we decide to go ahead based on whatever state their provided data is in and our provider data, how are we bring all that together? So what's your best advice there, Scott? Yeah, I think part of the power of what Kairos Health can do for its customers is it gives our clients insight into where individuals are searching for care uh, and what they're searching for. So if I'm searching for care that's 20 miles outside of downtown and I'm looking for a neurology visit and you don't have any neurologists in that vicinity, but the search patterns are large enough that uh, it might warrant that, then that's a piece of information you can use when you're thinking about M&A uh, or MRA. Um, as you think about your physician networks and how you meet the needs for the individuals in your particular markets, having insight into that kind of data as to what they're searching for, how they're searching, the words that they're using in the search and where they're searching from, I think can be really powerful to help fuel uh, those kinds of discussions. Now, selfishly, I love the chaos of M&A because I think we're well positioned to help uh, all of our organizations take all of that disparate data and create that one single source of truth. Um, we were fortunate enough to help Craig and his organization through that. I think we've helped Stuart uh, to a certain degree with his, and I'm sure we've helped Chris as well. And so we uh, we enjoy the chaos that M&A provides um, because we're think, we we believe we're one of those organizations that can help, uh, you know, kind of create some calm waters out of that chaos based upon the solutions that we bring to bear. Well, that's pretty interesting, Scott, that, that idea that uh, if you don't have something like Kairos, you might not be able to attain that information in terms of the searches that are unsuccessful. So you, as you, your example, in this particular area, People are searching a lot. We don't have anything there, so they're they're having to compromise or whatnot. So it's pretty good insight, as you said. Yeah, for sure. All right, very good. Um, Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, we uh, we don't do mergers. Uh, we haven't done any mergers. I'm really happy to say that. <laughs> uh, we do acquisitions and partnerships. Uh, if it's an acquisition. We, um, I've somehow convinced the organization that there's no other way to do an acquisition other than to replace all their IT systems at day zero, and that's the acquisition date. So please don't tell my organization that there's any other way to do that. I'm very <laughs> blessed that on day zero, it's same store across the whole house from network to, to applications. Um, but let's keep that our secret. Absolutely. On the partnership side. Uh, we may have a, a, a different type of partnership where we're we're doing billing or insurance or or some combination, uh, and often we're integrating uh, data and pulling those data sets. Uh, scheduling becomes uh, and 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 search and market data 
understanding what we're trying to fill, right? And so that's where that strategic planning department saying, hey, we need more primary care in this sub-market. Um, who, who, who is, you know, really engaging and how? And that may be a, an immediate care strategy. That may be a virtual visit strategy that steps into it. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but the provider data and really it's it's the market data, it's the consumer data. Uh, what is the what is the the care needs in that community that that really drive all of that business? Very good, Stuart. So I'm going to have to start by saying to Chris, we we cannot keep that a secret. You've got to tell me how that's done. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> cannot be a secret. <laughs> So well, maybe I'll uh, just get my CEO to tell your CEO that that's the only way it should be done. How's that? Maybe. Yeah, please do. Because I can tell you, we, we've had some recently that we had literally 30 days to onboard them. Yeah. I can't change everything out in 30 days. So we have to find ways to cobble it together. So, um, yes, please have your guy call my guy. You but, got it. Uh, <laughs> com- coming back to the question, um, all the things about the intricacies of, of, of mergers or acquisitions, as, as Greg pointed out, are there. It increases the challenges that we talked about, right? More data sources, more culture, more, more everything that we've got to then harmonize. But if you think about the reason that we merge or acquire any kind of growth, it, it's because we want to expand. And if we go back to what we said earlier, that the provider data it's your inventory, right? It's what you've got to sell. So if you buy a new store or a new location, your consumers have got to have access to your inventory on day one, right? If we're, if we're lucky like Chris is and then it's all there, great. But for mergers and acquisitions, we've got to have leading strategies that says, even as we're trying to get the network and everything patched together, it's really, really important that when they go searching, when it's on our website or Google or whatever, that they can now find those providers associated with us, that our brand is recognized, that we're able to benefit from day one uh, from having done said merger or acquisition. So it really brings in additional challenges, but it also highlights the importance of having robust, accurate, actionable provider data. Because now your inventory has changed, your service locations have changed, and you need your consumers to know that like from the day you now have access to that because your ROI starts once the transaction closes. So it's 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 a it's a blessing that we're growing, but it just exacerbates the challenges of managing your provider data properly. And it is the most important thing in my mind that you've got to do if you're consumer centric and you do an acquisition, you want to make sure that your consumers know that this is you and they have the same expectations and they can access care. And maybe that example earlier of the neurology that's missing, if you've just done an acquisition, you wanna make sure that on day one, people now know, hey, I have neurology here now. Maybe we were reaching out to you, say, are you still looking for a neurologist? Here you go. So it's really key. Wow, that's such a great point, Stuart. Uh, <laughs> and that's sort of, so the one last mile that you talked about, I was like, oh, that's the last mile is making sure people know Look, the new restaurant, I'm going to use the term restaurant. Look, the new restaurant's open, right? So you can go eat there. And if you haven't told them, then people are sitting there looking at the walls. No one's coming in. And then you made uh, another excellent point, which is, oh, by the way, if you have some of that data that we talked about with Scott about the searches, and now you have that neurology place open, can you go back and reach out? 
and say, hey, oh, by the way, we know you searched for a neurologist here. We now have one. Talk about sort of finishing everything off beautifully. Uh, great points. We have a question from the audience, <clears throat> which I think is sort of the whole point of the whole webinar. Uh, how do you consolidate provider data between multiple disparate systems for organizational process and cost efficiency? Scott, that's that's the whole ballgame, right? That's what we're talking about. And I mean, I know by Kairos is one way to answer that, right? But what are some other ways to answer that? Well, yeah, by by Kairos is probably <laughs> the first, second, and the third answer. <laughs> um, it, but if you don't like any of those, I, I have seen organizations try to do this themselves. Um, you know, it's uh, what, what I like to think of when you're coming down to a decision like that is, am I better off buying something else so that I can build on top of that? Or am I better off owning the core competency of that? And uh, and whether that that ends up being something that you decide to do yourself or you decide to bring in somebody outside like a Kairos Health, I would just ask the the audience to, to think about that question. Is this something that I want to have as a core competency or is this something that's commercially available off the shelf that I can then build on to do the things that are really going to differentiate me in the market? All right. Well, now we're going to we're going to have some fun because it's time to have some fun. And I'd love to see what, what folks want to ask each other. Um, Stuart, I'm going to start with you. Do you have a question for one or multiple of your co-panelists? And just let us know as you're asking it, who it, you could say either everybody or if you want to address to specific folks. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said we're going to have some fun here because I, I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick on Craig. Um, <laughs> And, and so when I started out in, in North Carolina way back when as, as a CIO, um, Craig, Craig was one of the elders. I'm not calling him old. He just he, he was he was in the, in the seat before I was. And one of the things I, I loved about that, and Craig, you may remember this, is our health systems were fierce competitors. But once I got the promotion, man, I learned that we were all friends. All the CIOs of the large health systems, they were friends. We met, we shared experiences, and so Craig was was a friend and a mentor to me from day one as a CIO. So I, I appreciate that. And you know, I guess kind of the question I would ask you, because it's on everybody's mind right now, as we think about this space, what is the role that AI is going to play? Everybody, I mean, if you're not saying A or I at least three times a day, you're, you're not doing something right. Do, do you see AI changing this in any way? You know, th th that, that's a great question, Stuart, and, and um, certainly I've learned a lot from you over the years and um, appreciate your uh, your recognition of how we first met. It was actually kind of fun. I always used to say we don't compete on data. We just compete on how we use the data. So let's 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 make sure we, we all kind of get along in our roles. Um, in terms of AI, I think it has great potential. Um, the way that we are uh, moving forward with it certainly we have partners who are deep into it, so we are relying upon our partners to help come through with bringing AI to life within the applications that we've already purchased through them. But also we have a large group that's focusing on just open AI itself and how we plan on potentially using it. Um, there is the whole thing we all know about the bias and the hallucinations and all the things that kind of go with at least the generative AI components, but we've we've divided that up into a group that we call uh, intelligent automation. And so you've got 
you got ML in there, you got RPA, you got generative AI, you got conversational AI, you got all these other different tools that we just call uh, intelligent automation. So it's IA for us. But I think the potential is, um, is, is quite large. And I think that is one of those things that we'll continue to, to learn from each other going back to the roots back in North Carolina for the both of us. You know, when I look at healthcare, you know, healthcare, uh, our CEO stated once, was built on cheap labor. And that cheap labor is no longer cheap. And in many cases, we can't even find enough labor to do the work. So we're going to have to use some forms of technology to fill those gaps and or provide those tools, as I mentioned earlier, to the patients to help do some self-service on their own. But, you know, historically, we would always go in and we would have um, the self-service models push a lot of that out, let people do some of their own work. Some things would be centrally. But I do think AI will surface up things that uh, the human would not be able to uh, consume and digest and spit back out on its own. So I think there's there's great opportunity. There's there's risk that we need to manage through that. But the opportunity uh, for this industry is going to be tremendous. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. And I, I still remember that advice. We, we don't compete on data, right? We'll, we'll <laughs> collaborate there. We'll compete in all the ways. And uh, much like I'm going to follow up with Chris, um, I do believe in the case method, which is copy and steal everything. <laughs> and I've been struggling with, you know, how do we get people to talk about AI without just talking about AI? This, this yeah. idea of intelligent automation just got stolen. Yeah, I, I, it, it's interesting that you brought that <laughs> up. I, I really like that. Um, you know, what I would I tell my staff often is I, I do a boot camp every couple of weeks with new staff. Come stand in the emergency room, stand in the core and watch how hectic things are. You can feel the electricity in the room, right? And 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 watch the people come in on ambulances and the families that are coming in and the, the waiting uh, and, and how everybody's bustling around. Now, if for a moment we can provide technology that allows that clinician to be more in the moment, to actually be with the patient instead of with the technology, then we we transform the way delivery occurs. And I think that's the most precious moment, regardless of the clinical care setting. I think AI can help us with that in ways that, that we haven't been able to do. And that's really kind of um, we're on focus. I agree with, you know, Craig, I mean, we're playing with some tools, but we're looking for our partners to bring uh, proven uh, capabilities and not hype. Um, there's some low level stuff I can do. I mean, you guys are Goliaths, I mean, in the market and uh, so I'm very impressive, bold organizations. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll figure this out together, right? This is, this is good stuff, though. All right. Excellent. Very good. Chris, do you have a question for one or multiple of your co-panelists? Stuart got it. I mean, I, I'm curious, you know, how how AI changes this landscape. And and that was that was my my big question. I, I think it will be uh the continued question we ask at every venue and activity that we go to in the next, you know, over the next several years as this rapidly evolves. Stuart, any you want to give us your thoughts on AI? 
I, I generally agree. Um, it, it is going to be game changing. And like everything else, we, we've got to intelligently apply it, right? We can't just go out and chasing things. Our, our strategy is, is much like Craig said. We start with our, our core partners. What are you doing to integrate AI into your products? Because keep in mind, the key to AI, just like we're talking here with provider data, is having a curated data set for it to run on, right? And, and so when you see AI, many of the systems you buy for years, it, it's not AI, right? It's fake it till you can make it. They've got thousands of people who are correcting, and, and, and right? So when you, when you get the AI, it requires a lot of curated data. Yeah. So if you can go with your partners and let them do all the curation, integrate it into the product, you're going to be better off than just going out and plugging chat GPT in. By the same token, as Craig also said, you do have to get in the game and start to see how your team can innovate and fill the gaps. But I, I, try, I tend to innovate at the edge, not at the core, right? So you fill a gap, but I'm not trying to go plug chat GPT into Epic or into any of my major systems and think I'm going to get some miraculous result. But Stuart, to, so to your point, if if we can sort of let our vendor partners do the fancy AI stuff on top, we've got to get our data house in order. If we don't focus on getting our data house in order, all the things they run on it are going to be useless. So that is a good place to focus our time and energies, correct? I, I think so, yes. Good. All right, very good. Scott, do you have a question for one or multiple of your co-panelists? Yes, uh, thanks, Anthony. <clears throat> you know, the when it comes to all things digital, and I know we've talked a lot today about being omni-channel, but, but Craig also touched on, you know, labor's expensive and there's not enough of it. And so certainly trying to drive more digital experiences is is probably good from a bottom line perspective, good from a can be can be good from an experience perspective, um, and also help with the labor shortage. The thing that I struggle with, the thing that I don't have the answer on is how do we allow the provider to maintain autonomy and yet drive the standardization that's needed to create some of these digital experiences? And, you know, I think we were talking a little bit about earlier about change management and, and it's a team sport. And, and I feel like the captain of that team is, is maybe the CMIO, maybe it's the, you know, one of your key physician leaders, but I'm, I would be, I would love to hear any insights that the, these three gentlemen have around that topic that I could uh, share and use the case method as Stuart highlighted and uh, bring that to other clients. Chris, let's go to you first. Yeah, I, you know, when you think about autonomy, right, and and I also think about, you know, the term burnout and, and what it often means, right? It's somewhat feeling uh, you're like you're not in control any longer. And, and I, I think we're looking for a consumer experience that, that can't come at the cost of burning out the provider or, or struggling with the clinician. And, I, and it doesn't have to. Uh, you know, so we we are looking at and constantly looking at ways to free up that provider or those clinicians so they can be in that moment, right? And and be with that patient and help answer that question and be human, right? And connect with people in the way that they hope to when they when they took this journey into into healthcare. 
And that that becomes a real guiding principle for us. Um, sure, you know what? We're probably going to, we are going to probably take your schedule away from you. You're not going to have autonomy to drive your schedule the way um, you want. Uh, but you know what? We're also going to respect those boundaries uh, in the way that, that, that clinically we believe uh, together uh, is the best for our patients. So uh, it's a dance, right? And it, it's a it's a conversation um, that 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 you bring people with, and and you start in the humblest way, which is to go and see, right? Go spend a day, go go spend that time in those clinical settings, so that when you have a conversation, you've built the confidence that you actually that you do care and you know what you're talking about. Very good, Craig. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's a uh, it's a great question. It is probably one that you know a lot of people could debate upon. Um, yeah, I think if you go back and look at how we've evolved in industry from being what I would say provider centric now to be patient centric, you've got a health plan. It, it's it's kind of member centric. Is that that shift has reduced some of the the, the preferences that a single individual might have because as a patient. I want to come into your organization and whether I see Stuart, Scott, Chris, or Anthony, I would expect the same similar levels of service as well as, you know, the, the, the practices and the protocols. So trying to remove that variability is important, not only from the experience, but also for the outcome. And if you drive yourself toward the best experience or the best outcome, you don't have like 10 to choose from. You know, there's one and maybe there's one that's catching up. So to have that shift, if you walked into a Target store, the manager doesn't shift things all around because that's the way that he likes it. You know, the groceries are on this side and this is on this side. And in the back is, you know, they lay things out for the pay, for the customer. So it's easy for them to navigate. And I think it's very similar here. Uh, you know, that's why like, like office hours, like eight to five, you know, most people work from eight to five. But the way that it created was that was when the provider was available and I had to take off work. Because I, you know, I work at the same time you do too. So then, then we expanded the extended hours and urgent care. We filled all these other times where, where actually it was more convenient. And now you just pull out your phone. So that, that really has helped in many cases uh, because of that. So I, I really think that it's, it's really moving toward that. And you want the relationship with that patient to be with your health system. Right. You know, people come and go, you know, and then all parts of the organization. So to have the personal relationship um, is a piece that's really important, but it's also a piece that, you know, if they see Stuart today and, and Scott tomorrow, they're still getting the same level of service, a very consistent standard practices that were put in play. And I think that's a really great point, Craig, and kind of a guiding principle, right? You want the relationship to be with the health system. That'll inform, I think, a lot of the specifics that, that all fall under that. So good point. Um, Stuart, your thoughts. Yeah, so so quickly, I, I would uh, build on what Craig and I have said, and you know, I would say the old Simon Sinek: start with why, right? And, and starting with why, you want to make sure that the providers understand why this is important, what what you're trying to get to, um, but you also want to understand why they're afraid, why are they, what are, what are their concerns and fears as you try to enforce the standardization. With that as a foundation. You have to then do, in one of my very first discussions with a large health system when I started there was, every meeting I went to, they talked about unnecessary variation, right? We're gonna standardize. 
I said, can we have as many conversations about unnecessary standardization? Where does it add no value to standardize? Where can we allow flexibility so we don't have that headbutting, so we have that balance? So start with why, focus on the areas of standardization that are important to experience to your brand, and allow some degree of flexibility. You can deliver the same experience in different ways, right? There are going to be some providers, as Chris said, his wife prefers to use the phone. Okay, maybe if you're more of a phone guy, I don't force you to do video visits, right? We, we can find a channel where you're working there. So start with why, understand the concerns, focus on the things that are critically important, and compromise. All right, very good. We're almost out of time, so I'm just going to give Scott uh, a opportunity for a final thought, best piece of advice from where you're sitting, and then we're going to wrap it up. So, Scott, what do you got for the folks? Look, um, you've heard a lot today from the panelists that the underlying data that powers your organizations is complicated, it's complex, it involves a lot of different parts of your world. And so I think the thing you should be thinking about is how do I make that better? How do I how do I make sure I'm engaging all of the right parties so that I can have the right foundation to build off of? And if you took that away from this uh, conversation, then I would call it a success. And uh, and Anthony, I do have to thank you know Craig, Chris, Stewart, and of course yourself for uh, for hosting this. And I really appreciated the uh, conversation and the opportunity to uh, participate. Well, very good. Thank you. All right. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want to work with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to echo Scott's uh, thanks to Craig Richardville, Chris Parvati, Stuart James, and Scott Andrews and Kyrus Health for making the event possible and our attendees for coming. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Take care.